Chapter Two of Uncle Remus Returns by Joel Chandler Harris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Chenevere. Empty Umpty and the Blacksmith. Late one afternoon, when the little boy was trying his best to slip up behind Uncle Remus and frighten him with a big boo, he heard noises that caused him to pause in his tracks and listen with all his ears. The sound he heard was the voice of the old man, and he seemed to be in deep distress. Apparently something had happened that the child had not heard of. It was something serious, too, for although the old man was explaining something to someone in a low tone, he frequently paused to sigh and groan. The child's sympathy was aroused to such an extent that he forgot, or forbore, to put in execution the plan he had in mind when he started to the cabin. After listening a while in a futile effort to discover the nature of the trouble, he boldly entered the door and looked around the room, which, for the lack of windows, was not very well lighted. He was surprised to find that the old man was alone and more surprised still to find that he was gazing at the rafters with a smile of satisfaction on his weather-beaten features. "'What is the matter, Uncle Remus?' asked the child. "'Matter?' exclaimed the old man. "'They may be something the matter with you, honey, but they ain't nothing tall the matter with me.' "'Why, I heard you talking to someone and groaning. That's the way people do when they have trouble.' If I was talking to anybody, they must a slipped out when you slipped in. If they ain't done that, they're here right now. It's for groaning. That's about all that folks can do when they gets as old as what I is. By good rights, they oughta groan every time they draws their breath. But you were groaning just as though you had a terrible pain and needed some of the medicine that Mother gives to me when I have a stomach ache. The ailment what I had, honey, was summers on the right-hand side of my mind. When I got word from a little bird that you was coming down here for to slip up on me and scare me, it put me in mind at the time when your pappy was about your age, and then I got to rambling back till my remembrance hit me a whack that come mighty nigh knocking me flat. Something up and said that one of the tales what I told him in them days was the wrong thing, yes, sir, the wrong thing. That is when you hear me talking and groaning. I don't know how I gwine to get to feel it much better, lessen somebody up dar at the big house sends me some of the truck what gives you the stomach ache, resins and mince pies and apple dumplings. It makes me right hungry when I think about telling your pappy the wrong thing when he want nothing but a little bit of chat. But I done the best I know now. What tale was it, Uncle Remus? the little boy inquired. Twan't neither more nor less than that old time tale about Empty Umpty and the Blacksmith. I gun it out just as twas gun to me, but twas the wrong thing, and the wrong thing can't be made the right thing. "'Anybody'll tell you that.' "'Empty Umpty?' exclaimed the child. "'Why, what is that?' "'It's just somebody's name,' said Uncle Remus with a sigh. "'Some folks call him one thing and some another. "'Ain't you never hear your pappy talk about it?' "'No, I never did,' replied the little boy. "'Not when he dropped his collar button on the floor "'and it rolled away under the bureau?' 
the child shook his head solemnly. Is you right show you ain't heard him call a name when he can't find the button? persisted the old man, leaning back in his chair. He laughed heartily when he saw the light of comprehension dawning in the child's eyes. Oh, Empty Empty has got more names than yo can count on your fingers. Some calls him Satan, some calls him the old boy, some calls him Clutes, and some calls him what yo pappy do, and he answers to all of em. And there's times off and on when he'll come long for you call him. From what I hear, he's been about the busiest creetur that ye ever run about with two behind legs and a tail to boot. Well, the tale what I done gone and told your pappy about old Empty Umpty and the blacksmith was the wrong thing, and I don't know whether to writing it with him or with you. It seems like you're the handiest, yet if I writing it with you, I'll have to get your promise for the writing it with him. The little boy was enthusiastic in making the promise, so much so that Uncle Remus was compelled to wipe an untimely smile from his mouth, using the back of his hand for the purpose. He seemed to be in no hurry to writen things, however, for instead of beginning the story at once, he leaned his head against the wall as though he were about to take a nap, this being his favorite attitude when he wanted to doze. The little boy was not as impatient as his father had been under the same circumstances. He sat perfectly quiet, awaiting the good pleasure of Uncle Remus. Peeping from under his eyelashes, the old negro was again compelled to employ the back of his hand to smother a smile. This seemed to arouse him. I ain't been asleep, is I? How far did I get with the tale? Why, you didn't even begin to tell it, said the child. Well, sir, exclaimed Uncle Remus, with well-feigned surprise. Now, ain't that too much? One thing I notices, and that ain't too, I notices that the more Andy Dominoes what crawls over me, the bigger my forgettings gets. And I bound it'll come to that pass that time will come when I'll forget to eat. And there ain't nobody that I knows, son, that's gwine to come long and put vittles in my mouth. That's what. The little boy said not a word in response to this, nor did he smile. The trouble with him was that he was inclined to take Uncle Remus too seriously. This made the old man more solemn than he would have been otherwise, but he began very bravely, in spite of his fear that the simple tale he had to tell would fail to appeal to a youngster who had nearly all his mischievousness trained away under the modern system of parental instruction. One time, said Uncle Remus, not yesterday, not the day before, but way back yonder in the days when folks knowed lots more and a heap less than what they knows now, there was a blacksmith what had his shop at the big crossroads. It seemed like that if folks was gone anywhere or coming back, they'd please to pass this year blacksmith's shop. Tain't make no difference where they gone or where they coming from. The blacksmith and his shop was right sprang on the road. Time and time again, some of em would set right flat on the ground and try to figure out how and why twas that they had a pass this shop. No matter which way they started, nor which way they come back. They figured and figured, but tain't do em a grain of good. In due time, 
they'd hear a wangin' and a clangin', and when they look up, there was the shop, lookin' red inside on count the fire, and there was the bellows a wheezin' and a snortin', and a big sledgehammer a bangin' on the anvil, twill it looked like it had bust wide open. No difference what road they took, they'd had a pass the shop, and if they passed the shop, they'd had a see the red light a shinin' and hear the sledgehammer a bangin'. The shop got so het up in the daytime that it held the heat all night, and the blacksmith ain't been workin' there long, for old Brer Rabbit find out that if he want to get warm and feel good, all he had to do was to creep under dough and set by the fire and nod. In them days folks had a better opinion of the creeters than what they got now, and they was more familiars with them than they is now. But the blacksmith was so big and strong that he sought everybody out akin a pattern. He wasn't scared of the biggest creeter that come long, let him be rhinosy horse or hippotamopotamus. As for Brer Rabbit, he want no war. He was lots bigger in dim days than what he is now, but he want no matching muscle for the man what been slinging the sledgehammer. And so there twas the blacksmith with big arms and strong legs, and old Brer Rabbit with nothing but a long head and big ears. Old Brer Rabbit had a mighty habit of setting up late at night. He'd set up so late, a playing his pranks and a cutting up his capers, that when he woke up the next morning, he was e'en about as sleepy as he had been the night before, and they was times when he ain't wake up till he hear the blacksmith fumbling at the door. And more specially, there was one time when the blacksmith walked right in on him and found him sitting up close to the place where the fire done been at. Instead of shooing Brer Rabbit away like he oughta done if he ain't want him dar, the blacksmith flung a hammer at him, and if it had hit him, they wouldn't have been enough of him left for to stop a hole in a chigger's house. But Brer Rabbit dodged the hammer and went scootin' to the briar patch where he born and bred at. He went out dar he did and felt to himself all over for to see if he was all dar, and then when he find out that he was, he jump up and crack his heels together and wonk one eye like somebody done tell him a great secret. He sot out dar in the briar patch and study what he gwan do next, and long about that time, who should come long that way but old man Billy Rickerson Dickerson? Knowing Brer Rabbit long and well, he stopped for to pass the time of day and ax the news, and he ain't been dar long for Brer Rabbit told him many a long tale that nobody ain't never hear before. By the time he was ready for to sing out his so long. Brer Rabbit asked him if he'll do a favor for one of his old-time friends, and Mr. Rickerson Dickerson loud that he will. Well, then, says old Brer Rabbit, says he, when you are passing the blacksmith shop, just poke your head in the dough and say, Friend, you have company soon, and the next passerby you meet, tell him to do the same. Well, sir, the word went round, and wasn't long for everybody that come by the blacksmith's shop had the same saying in the mouth, Friend, you have company soon. This sought the blacksmith to studyin'. He asked himself what they all mean by that, 
and it got so at a while that he'd put the hot iron on the anvil and let it get stone cold before he hit a lick with the hammer. He was so worried that he can't sleep at night, and the nigh neighbors wondered when they hear the bellows a-snortin' and the hammer a-bangin'. They say to theself that the blacksmith breezed to have a mighty heap of work to do, and they dunno where it all come from, nor who was having it done. By and by, after a long time, the neighbors got so that they'd drop in on him at a supper and sit and talk and dodge sparks while the blacksmith run the bellows and swung the hammer. One night the talk turned on the old boy and his belongings. The fire burnt so blue, and the sparks flew so fur that they can't help but think about the bad place, and with that they pleased to think about old Empty Umpty, the one what runs it. The blacksmith was monstrous busy, but he ain't so busy but what he can hear what they talkin' bout. He blowed the bellows, and he hammered the red-hot iron, but he ain't lost none of the talk, specially when they gun to talk about old Empty Umpty. He listened, he did, but he kept on a-makin' what he started for to make when he fust got word that he was gwine to have company, and fo' they got true tellin' what they knowed about old Empty Umpty, he done finish it. He sot it up on the anvil and pushed all round with his tongs, and dem what was settin' dar sees that twas a box, a big iron box with the sides all welded together and the top fixed so that he can weld that up tight the minute he got good and ready. He turned the box all round and round, and then he wiped a sweat off in his forehead and grinned. He low, dar's a box, what is a box? And if anybody can beat it, let him do it. Everybody been telling me I'm gwine to have company soon, and I spect it must be so, but they can't come fore I'm ready for em. Then he asked em all how come they had a talk about old Empty Umpty, and what do they know about him anyhow. This start to talk again, and if the old boy had a had any character, they'd a rooted right then and dar. They say that they ain't but treating that he can't turn himself into whilst he's roaming round the world, seeking whomsoever he might destroy. One was a hog, one was a monkey, and one was a cat. The blacksmith laugh and say that if old Empty Umpty is gwine to be the company they are talking about, well and good, cause he does as ready for him as what he is for anybody else. He ain't no sooner say this than a tall black man stepped inside the door and bowed with how the masters and friends. They all looked at him up and down, and well they might. Cause never in all day born days as they seen anybody like that. He was black, but he ain't look like no nigger. His eyes shined like a piece of glass in the moonlight. He had on a stovepipe hat and a broad cloth suit. He was slim and slick and supple, and it seemed like he was club-footed and double-jointed. Well, honey, he stood there smocking and smiling and it looked like that the more you look at him, the slicker he got. He low, Masters and friends, you had a scuse me for coming in so sudden-like. I used to be a blacksmith myself, and I never catches a glimpse of a forge and a fire 
but what it seems like I'm obliged to stop in a minute if only for to warm my hands like this. He held out his hands toward the live charcoals, and the fire sprung up, just like it do when you is working the bellows for all she's worth. The flame burnt white, and then it burnt blue, and by and by it burnt right green, and all the time it got bigger and bigger, twill it gun to wrap round the black man's hands, just like snakes. Nobody ain't say a word. They ain't had no needs to. It took up all the time for to watch what the black man gwine to do next. By and by, when he done warm his hands as much as he want to, he turned to the blacksmith and say, says he, I hear you spectin' company soon. Blacksmith, he up and asks, Who's tellin' you? The black man made answer, Why, I seen old man Rickerson Dickerson this morning, and he ain't mowed and told me how to for he loud that you speckin' company. And soon's I heard that, I told him for to set down in the big rockin' chair and make hisself at home, and off I put for to see who this company might be that was comin' to see you. Now all them neighbors what had come in to set up with the blacksmith knowed mighty well that old man Rickerson Dickerson had done been buried the day before and it made em open their eyes when they hear the black man say that he had seed him that morning. And one old man what had white hair and was kind of shaky in the legs up and asked, Whereabouts is it you see him at? The black man say, I see him coming down the road, and he looked like he was kind of cold, and I asked him in for the warm by my fire. We had a little chat, and then it was that he told me about how they was company expecting at the crossroads blacksmith shop. The old man low, and did he warm himself? The black man flung back his head and laughed, twill the smoke come out in his mouth. He say, Mr. Rickerson Dickerson sure did get warm, and the reason I knows is cause I hear him say so himself. The old man shook his head and say, says he, that he reckon he better be pulling on towards home on account of the lateness of the hour. Did you say that smoke came out of the black man's mouth, Uncle Remus? The little boy asked. He was so much in earnest that a curious little pucker appeared between his eyebrows right over his nose. That what I said, honey? Smoke? And twasn't no natural smoke, neither, cause it smelled just like it do when you strike one of them old-timer smifflicatin' matches. It kinda give the neighbors a turn, and one by one they sneaked off home. Twill the fust news you know, there wasn't nobody left in the shop but the black man and the blacksmith with old brother rabbit peepin' through a crack. The black man, he say, says he, I done had my eye on you, and I like the way you do mighty well. You been working too hard and too much, but you get over them kind of habits one of these long come shorts. I used to be a blacksmith myself, and I'm feared you'll go at it in a mighty roundabout way. What does you want with a fire? And what uses you got for that great big bellus, which you had to work yourself to pieces for the blow? The blacksmith, he low he did, that he bleeds to have a fire, and the onlyest way he can have one is to make the bellows blow its breath on it. 
De black man, he say, says he, It might been a time when I had the same idea, but that time is done past and gone. Let me show you how I does the business. With that, he took up a plow tongue, hefty close to his mouth, and blowed on it once or twice, and it got red hot, and then took on a white heat, kind of cause a welting heat. He put it on the anvil, and hit a lick or two with the hammer, and it come out the prettiest shuffle plow you ever is lay your eyes on. He held it out, but the blacksmith back off he did, and low, Who the name of goodness is you anyhow? The black man frowned when he hear the word of goodness, but he make answer, Folks got a heap of different names for me, but I ain't no ways proud, and so I spawns to all of The blacksmith say, says he, I believe you ain't nobody but old Empty Umpty. And yet, says the black man, says he, some calls me the old boy, and then again they calls me Satan, and I got worse sounding names than that. They tells me, says the blacksmith, says he, that there's three things you can't do, says he. Old Empty Umpty, low, be pleased for to hum the name em, says he. Well, sir, says the blacksmith, says he, it talk round in the neighborhood that you can't change yourself into a hog, nor a monkey, nor indeed into a cat. Old Empty Umpty grinned and showed his sharp tushes, and then he lipped in the hour around with a little twist, and when he hit the ground again, he was in the resemblance of a hog, and he looked so much like a hog that he went grunting all over the shop and gobbling up every scrap of vittles he could find. Then he lay down and wallered like he was in a mud hole and got up a monkey. Well, Mr. Monk was more livelier than what the hog was, and he run up the wall and got on the rafters and sot dark chattering and whistling just like a show enough monkey. He dropped from the rafters, and when he hit the ground, the monkey was a cat, not a great big un, but a little black un that you'd a been sorry for if you'd a seen it. By that time, the blacksmith had his iron box ready and settin' on the ground, and when the cat come close enough, he grabbed it by the back of the neck and soused it in the box and slammed down the lid and fastened it. Then he laughed and laughed till it looked like he ain't never going to get done laughing. But old Brer Rabbit, with his eye to the crack, gone to get kind of unpatient, and he fetched the ground a whack with his behind foot. He hit it so hard and so quick that you'd a thunk somebody was beating on the muffle drum. Blacksmith say, says he, who dat? Brer Rabbit spawned, I'm the man what you had in the box. Just so. Blacksmith say, says he, go away. You can't fool me. Oh, empty umpty in here where I'll put him at, and he'll be empty umptied fo he's emptied. You hear me talking? Brer Rabbit say, says he, shake the box, man, shake the box. And sure enough, when the blacksmith shake the box, he ain't hear nothing in there. He shake it again, and he don't hear nothing in there. Well, this kind of thing ain't what he been specting, and he kind of scratch his head. He study and he study what he gwine do, and by and by he sot right flat on the ground 
and opened the box for to see if it's empty or empty umpty. He opened it, he did, and raised the lid and tried to peep in, but he ain't seen nothing. He raised it a little higher, and when he done that, a great big black bat flewed out of the box and hit him right sprang in the face. He done his level best for to catch it. He struck at it with his hat and slapped at it with his hand, but the bat done gone out in reach, and when the blacksmith look up, it was sailing round amongst the rafters, fliffing and fluffing and gritting its toofies. The bat flew round much as it wanted, and then it made a dart for the door and was gone, done gone. Well, time went on and the day come when the blacksmith's shop was shot up, and the blacksmith himself was swapped from the cooling board to the graveyard. Uncle Remus paused and looked hard at the little boy, who was listening with the composure and the complacency that were so puzzling to the old negro. He paused, cleared his throat, and then went on, From cooling board to graveyard ain't such a mighty fur ways, but I don't expect the blacksmith cared if twas long or short. They tells me, I don't know if it's so or no, it might be just hearsay, but they tells me that the blacksmith had occasion to go down dar where empty umpty live at. He might just been passin' by, leastways he went to empty umpty's house and knock at the door. He knock once, and he knock twice, and then old empty umpty holler and ax, Who dat? Blacksmith says, says he, tain't nobody but me. Empty umpty low, he did. If you're the blacksmith what shut the cat up in a box, you can't come in this place. And then he called one of his little impies and say, Go get him a chunk of fire and let him start a center factor of his own. He can't come in here. That, remarked Uncle Remus with something like relief, was all the fur the tail could follow the blacksmith. The little boy sat as though lost in reflection. Finally, however, he stretched himself and spoke. Oh, pshaw! he exclaimed and ran laughing toward the big house. End of Empty Umpty and the Blacksmith